Hello and welcome to Infinite Jest, Infinite Cast, <laughs> your pod jest. Yeah. The book is Infinite Jest. Uh, apologies in advance if um, we're a little slow today. We just got back from seeing Avatar The Way of Water and uh, my mind has been thoroughly freaked. I've been, I've been mind freaked. Yes. Uh, swimming is a whole ass vibe. <laughs> swimming is the vibe when being wet is when the mood. Being wet, swimming is low-key goaded when being wet is the vibe. <laughs> you have to tweet that. Uh, not my Navi ass bef- befriending a whale. <laughs> It, it's so good. It's great. Hopefully, that's not too spoily. I if there's a whale alert, in it, kind of. Spoiler alert: A lot of the movie is about becoming friends with a whale. Yeah, don't a, worry about it. Not just not becoming friends with whales in general, but one guy becoming specifically becoming friends with one whale. The trailer is kind of like what the movie is, you know. Yes, it's just like it's, vibes, like watery awesome. vibes. Yeah, yeah. First hour is like like all action. Second hour is just like don't just give it away. Cool. Don't give it away. We can't edit this podcast. That's fine. Beep. Tell the things that the the general things yeah. that happen. Yeah. Second hour is all just water animal friends, and third uh, third hour is balls to the wall action the entire time. It's great. Yeah. It's wet. It's wet as hell. It's it's very wet. Right, uh, anyway, it's also wet today. My brain. Uh, so really. again, uh, let's get into it. We're also recording at a different time than we usually do. Yeah. The night evening. Night pod. Night pod. Confusing. Um. So. Anyway, shall we? We shall. Okay. Plus, it was also creepy that when the face's effulgence becomes the boiled white of the trauma wing ceiling as he comes up with a start for air, the apparently real non-dream Joel Van D is leaning over the bed's crib railing, wetting Gately's big forehead and horror-rounded lips with a cool cloth, wearing sweatpants and a sort of loose brocaded hull pill, hull pill, whose lavender almost matches the selvage on her clean veil. The Hulpil's neckline is too high for there to be much cleavage action as she leans <laughs> over him, which Gately regards as probably kind of a mercy. The two brownies Joelle's got in her other hand, and her nails are bitten down to the ragged quick, just like Gately's. She says she liberated from the nurse's station and brought down for him, since Morris H. meant them for him, and they're all by, uh, and they're, uh, by all just rights his but she can see he's in no shape to swallow, she says. She smells like peaches and cotton, and there's a sweet, evil whiff of the discount Canadian gaspers so many of the residents smoke, and underneath those smells, Gately can detect that she's got on a bit of perfume, which takes us to endnote 347, which, in fact, she doesn't, but she had had perfume on the last time she wore the whole pill. (laughs) That's That's a thing. What is a whole pill? I don't know. H U L P I L. Will you look it yeah, up? I'll look it up. I have, I'm imagining like a some kind of like sm- ethnic smock. Whole pill. Whole pill. H U L P I L. Maybe I'm I'm fuel fuel pill. Maybe I'm fuel pill. Whole Yes. Okay. I kind of know what, what this is thing it? is. What? Why is it? What? Like okay. this thing? Yeah. Kind of like. Is that? Mm, Mexican? Dear reader, I would say imagine the dress that you are imagining a, a traditional Mexican woman like would indigi- wear on yeah. Day of the Dead. Yeah, like an indigenous... I don't know. Uh, so uh, yeah. It's a weak spot for me, but anyway, she's got one. Uh, to amuse him, she says, and low, several times. Gately makes his chest go up and down rapidly to signify amusement. He declines either to moo or to mew at her out of embarrassment. Her veil this morning has a springy light purple around the border, and the hair framing the veil seems a darker red, 
duskier than when she'd first come into the house and refused meat. Haley hadn't been much into WYYY or Madame Psychosis, but he'd sometimes run into people who were. Organics men, mostly opium and brown heroines, terrible mulled wine, and he feels on top of the febrile pain and the creepiness of the amphetaminic wraith and Winston Churchill faced Joel and angelic maternal death Joel dreams an odd vividness in her, himself at being swabbed and maybe even generally admired by someone who's an underground local intellectual dash art type celebrity. <laughs> oh my God, Very he's flattered. meeting a famous podcaster. Yes, he is. <laughs> he doesn't know how to explain it, like as if the fact that she's a public personage makes him feel somehow physically actuated, like more their feeling, conscious of the way he's holding his face, hesitant to make his barnyard sounds, even breathing through his nose so she won't smell his unbrushed teeth. He feels self-conscious with her, Joel can tell, but what's admirable is, admirable is he has no idea how heroic or even romantic he looks, unshaven and intubated, huge and helpless, <laughs> wounded in service to somebody who did not deserve service, half out of his tree from pain and refusing narcotics. The last and pretty much only man Joel ever let herself admire in a romantic way had left and wouldn't even face up to why, instead erecting for himself a pathetic, jealous fantasy about Joel and his own poor father, whose only interest in Joel had been first aesthetic and then anti-aesthetic. Joel doesn't know that newly sober people are awfully vulnerable to the delusion that people with more sober time than them are romantic and heroic instead of clueless and terrified and just muddling through day by day like everybody else in AA is, except maybe the fucking crocodiles. Joel says she can't stay long this time. All non-working residents have to report for the house's AM daily meditation meeting as Gately knows only too well. He isn't sure what she means by this time. She describes the newest male resident's weird limbo injury posture. Uh, remember? Oh, yes, the, the crab yeah. guy. And the way Johnette Foltz has to cut up this Dave guy's supper and drop it into his open mouth bit by bit. Oh, gross. Like a bird with a chick. Lifting her face to the ceiling makes the linen veil conform to the features of the face below. Mouth open wide in imitation of a chick. The crew neckish hopel makes her hair's loose curls look dark and her wrists and hands look pale. Her hand's skin is taut and freckled and treed with veins. His bed's metal bars keep Gately's rolling eyes from seeing anything much south of her thorax until Joel finishes with the washcloth and retreats to the edge of the other bed, which at some point has become empty, and the crying guy's chart removed and its crib railings folded down. And she sits on the edge of the bed and crosses her legs, supporting one Haraki's heel on the railing's joint, revealing she's got on white socks under flesh-covered her flesh-colored Haraki's gross <laughs> and ancient baggy old birch-colored sweatpants with B-U-M down one leg which Gately's pretty sure he'd seen at the Sunday AM Big Book meeting on Ken Erdetti and belonged to Erdetti and he feels a flash of something unpleasant that she'd be wearing the this uh, the upscale kids pants <laughs> the AM light outside has gone from sunny yellow white to now a kind of old dime gray with what looks like serious wind Joel eats the cream cheese brownies Gately can't eat and works at pulling a kind of big notebookish thing out of her broadcloth purse. She talks about last night's St. Column Kills meeting, which takes <laughs> us to 348, an R Catholic church just off Brighton Center. Thank you. Needed that info. Totally. Uh, back to the text, where they'd all gone unsupervised because Johnette F. had to stay and keep an eye on Glenn, who was sick, uh, and on Henderson and Willis, who were under legal quarantine upstairs. 
Gately racks his ram for which fucking night St. Colm kills is. Joel says how last night's was St. Colley's once a month format, where instead of a commitment, they had that round robin discussion where somebody in the hall spoke for five minutes and then picked the next speaker out of the hall's crowd. There had been a Kentuckian there, which Gately might recall she was from Kentucky, a Kentucky newcomer there, Wayne something, a real damaged-looking boy who hailed from the good old bluegrass state, but of late resided in a disconnected drainage pipe off a watershed facility down in the Alston Spur, he'd said. <laughs> this guy, she said, said he was 19 or thereabout, looked 40-some-plus, had clothes that looked to be decomposing on him even as he stood on the podium, had a ripe owner of drainage about him that produced hankies as far back as the fourth row, which he explained the odor by admitting his residential drainage pipe was in fact mostly disconnected, like as in little used. Joelle's voice is nothing like the hollow, resonant radio voice, and she uses her hands a lot to talk, trying to recreate the whole thing for Gately. Trying to give him a little bit of a meeting, Gately realizes, with a slight, tight smile of disbelief, that he can't dredge up a mental meeting schedule so he'll know what day this is. Some of the St. Column killers were saying it was the longest single blackout that they'd ever heard of. This Wayne fellow said he had no idea when, why, or how he'd ended up so far north as Metro Boston 10 years after his last memory. (laughs) (laughs) 10-year blackout? Most compelling, visually. Wayne had had a deep diagonal furrow in his face, extending from right eyebrow uh, to left lip corner. Joelle traces the length and angle with a ragged nailed finger across her veil, splaying his nose and upper lip and rendering so uh, violently cross-eyed he seemed to address both corners of the front row at the same time. This old Wayne boy to sketch how the facial dent, what Wayne had called the flaw, pointing it at it like people might need help seeing what he was talking about, <laughs> derived from his own per- very own personal hard-drinking alcoholic and chicken farmer daddy in the grip of the post-binge horrors and seeing subjective pests in a big way uh, one day up and hitting Wayne at age nine, smack in the face with a hatchet one time when Wayne couldn't tell him where a certain ball jar of distilled spirits had been hidden the day before against the possibility of the horrors. It had been just him and his daddy and his ma. That was feeble. That's in quotes. <laughs> and 7.7 acres of chicken farm, Wayne had said. Wayne said the flaw had just about healed up fine with fresh air and plenty of exercise when his daddy, trying one Monday p.m. to get outside a late lunch of mush and syrup, up and clutched his skull, turned red and then blue and then purple, and died. Little Wayne had reportedly wiped the the face clean of mush, dragged the dead body under the farmhouse porch, wrapped it up in Purina chicken chow sacks, and told his feeble ma his daddy had gone off to lay up drunk. The diagonal dented kid had apparently then gone off to school as usual, done some discreet WOM advertising, and then had brought home with him a different set of boys each day for almost a week, charging them a five-ski ahead to crawl under the porch and eyeball a bona fide dead man. A bona fide? Late Friday p.m., he recalled, he, re- he recollected, he'd set off with hard currency to the billiard establishment where the N-words, which takes us to <laughs> note oh, 349, no. oh. just says sick, uh, um, I don't know why it would be whatever. It's not. Sp- <laughs> is it is it the actual word in the text? Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Anyway, back to the text. Uh, the N words that sold distilled ball jars to his late daddy was at uh, getting to uh, getting set to lay up drunk as a cock on Jimson. The next thing this Wayne boy knows, says he knows he wakes up in the partially disconnected NNE pipe 
one millennial decade older, and with some right nasty medical issues, the timer's bell prevents him from sharing in detail. Wow. And this old Wayne boy had up and pointed to Joel to come speak next, almost as if he knew, as if he gut-intuited some sort of kinship affinity of origin. Gately grunted softly to himself. He figured guys with 10-year blackouts who live in pipes probably didn't have too much to go on besides your gut-type intuition. <laughs> he knew he needed to be reminded that this strange girl was only about three weeks clean and still leaching substances out of her tissues and still utterly clueless, but he felt like he resented it whenever he got reminded. Joel had the big flat book in her lap and was looking down uh, at her thumb and flexing it, watching it flex. What was disconcerting was that uh, when her head was down, the veil hung loose at the same vertical angle as when her head was up, only now it was perfectly smooth and untextured, a smooth white screen with nothing behind it. A loudspeaker down the hall gave those xylophone dings that meant God knows what all the time. When Joel's head came back up, the reassuring little hills and valleys of veiled features reappeared behind the screen. I'm going to have to take off here in a second, she said. I could come on back after if you want. I can bring anything you'd think you'd like. <laughs> Gately hiked an eyebrow at her to get her to smile. Hopefully since your fever went down, they said they'll decide you're out of the woods and take that out finally, Joel said, looking at Gately's mouth. It's got to hurt, and Pat says you'll feel better when you can start, quote, sharing what you're feeling. <laughs> Gately hiked both eyebrows. And you can tell me what you'd like brought, who you'd want to have come, whom. <laughs> Moving his left arm north across his chest and throat to get uh, the left hand up to feel at his mouth made the whole right side sing with pain. A skin-warmed plastic tube led in from the right side and was taped to his right cheek and went into his mouth and went down his throat past where his fingers could feel at the back of his mouth. He hadn't been able to feel it in his mouth or going down the back of his throat to he didn't even want to know where or even the tape on his cheek. He had had like this like tube in his throat the whole time and hadn't even known it. It had been in there so long by the time he came up for air, air he'd gotten like unconsciously used to it and hadn't even known it was there. Maybe it was a feeding tube. The tube was probably why he could only mew and grunt. <laughs> he probably didn't have permanent voice damage. Thank God. He made his thoughts capitalized and thanked God several times. He pictured himself at a lavish commitment podium, like at an AA convention, offhandedly saying something that got an enormous laugh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's like he's like excited that he can like speak, probably speak again. Yes. Either Joelle had had some sort of problem with her thumb, or she just got really interested in watching the thumb flex and twiddle. She was saying, it's strange not knowing it's coming, then standing up there to speak. Folks, you don't know. Things I don't realize I think till I say them. On the show, I was used to knowing quite well what I thought before I spoke. This isn't like that. She seemed to be addressing herself to the thumb. I took a page from your manual and shared my complaint about the but for the grace of God, and you were right. They just laughed. But also, I also... I hadn't realized till I found myself telling them that I'd stop seeing the one day at a time and keep it in the day as trite cliches, patronizing. Gately noticed she still talks about recovery issues in a stiff, proper, intellectualish way she doesn't talk about other stuff with. Her way of still keeping it all at arm's length a little. A mental thumb to pretend to look at while she talks. It was all right. Gately's own way of keeping it at arm's length at the start had involved an actual arm. <laughs> He pictured her laughing as he tells her that, the veil billowing mightily in and out. He smiled around the tube, which Joel saw as encouragement. She said, and why Pat in counseling keeps telling me to, to just to build a wall around each individual 24-hour period and not look over or back, and to not count days, 
even when you get a chip for 14 days or 30 days, not to add them up. In counseling, I'd just smile and nod, being polite. But standing up there last night, I didn't even share it aloud, but I realized suddenly that this was why I'd never been able to stay off the stuff for more than a couple of weeks. I'd always break down, go back, freebase. She looks up at him. I based, you know. You knew that. You see all the intake forms. Gately smiles. She says, this was why I couldn't get off and stay off. Just as the cliche warns, I literally wasn't keeping it in the day. I was adding the clean days up in my head. She cocked her head at him. Did you ever hear of this fellow Evil Knievel, this motorcycle <laughs> jumper? Gately- I mean, get, racking up the, the, the time chips seems like, at least for me, it would be the most motivating factor. Just, just chipping. Well, you know, well, Molly, you know how much I love trophies. Yeah, you need you need some motivation in the form of trophies. A little gift. The, big, the biggest a little chip. The the biggest motivation motivating factor in my life. Trophies. Trophies. <laughs> Gately nods slightly, being careful of a tube he now feels. This is why his throat had had that raped feeling in it. The tube. <laughs> he actually has an old cutout action picture of the historical evil Knievel from an old life magazine in a white leather elvish-ish suit in the air, aloft, haloed in spotlights, upright on a bike, a row of well-waxed trucks below. In Sa- at St. Collie, only the crocodiles had heard of him. My own daddy'd followed him, cut out pictures as a boy. Gately can tell she's smiling under there. But what I used to do, I'd throw away the pipe and shake my fist at the sky and say, as God is my fucking witness, never again. As of this minute right here, I quit for all time. She also has this habit of absently patting the top of her head when she talks, where little barrettes and spongy clamps hold the veil in place. And I'd bunk her up all white-knuckled and stay straight and count the days. I was proud of each day I stayed off. Each day seemed evidence of something, and I counted them. I'd add them up, line them up end to end, you know? Gately knows very well, but doesn't nod. Let's her do this on just her own steam. She says, and soon it would get improbable, as if each day was a car Knievel had to clear. One car, two cars. By the time I'd get up to say like maybe about 14 cars, it would begin to seem like this staggering number, jumping over 14 cars. And the rest of the year, looking ahead, hundreds and hundreds of cars, me in the air, trying to clear them. She left her head alone and cocked it. Who could do it? How did I ever think anyone could do it that way? Gately remembered some evil fucking personal detoxes, broken Malden, bent with pleurisy in Salem, MCI Balerica during a four-day lockdown that caught him short. He remembered kicking the bird for weeks on the floor of a Revere holding cell, courtesy of the good old Revere ADA. Locked down tight, a bucket for a toilet, the holding cell hot but a terrible icy draft down near the floor. Cold turkey, abrupt withdrawal, the bird. Being incapable of doing it and yet having to do it, locked in. A revere holding cage for 92 days, feeling the edge of every second that went by, taking it a second at a time, drawing the time in around him real tight, withdrawing. Any one second, he remembered, the thought of feeling like he'd be feeling this uh, the second for 60 more of these seconds. He couldn't deal. He could not fucking deal. He had to build a wall around each second just to take it. The whole first two weeks of it are telescoped in his memory into like one second, less the space between two heartbeats. A breath and a second, the pause and gather between each cramp, an endless now stretching its gull wings out on either side of his heartbeat. And he never before since felt so excruciatingly alive, living in the present between pulses. What the white flaggers talk about, living completely in the moment. A whole day at a crack seemed like tit when he came in, for he had abided with the bird. 
That's all. That's all. Uh, all capitalized. Abided with the abided bird. with the bird. But this interbeat present, this sense of endless now, it had vanished in Revere Holding along with the heaves and chills. He'd returned to himself, moved to sit on the bunk's edge, and ceased to abide because he no longer had to. His right side is past standing, but the hurt is nothing like the bird's hurt was. He wonders sometimes if that's what ferocious Francis and the rest want him to walk toward, abiding again between heartbeats, tries to imagine what kind of impossible leap it would take to live that way all the time, by choice, straight, in the second, the now, walled and contained between slow heartbeats. Ferocious Francis's own sponsor, the nearly dead guy they wheel to a white flag and call Sarge, says it all the time. It's a gift, the now. It's AA's real gift. It's no accident they call it the present. <laughs> oh, <man>. oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that got me. And yet... <laughs> <laughs> it is the it is a gift. Damn. That's what they call it. The present. Uh, I love the ongoing bit thing that is like, I mean, you know, it's not that it's not too much of a um, a tangent because it's the same thing with fucking Avatar, wrestling with sincerity and corniness mm. and finding and looking past it and and getting the uh, the good mm. meaning out of it. Yeah, because the truth the truth is cringe. The truth is cringe. That's, that's I'm sorry. Inevitable. What did Colbert say? Reality has a well-known liberal bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, l- l- life has a uh, has a cringe bi- bias. It, does, it, tend- yeah. it tends towards cringe. Yeah. If true. you try to fight it, you die. Yeah. Or inside or something. I don't know. I could <laughs> yeah. be more. Yeah. You get what I'm saying. Inside or inside. outside. Yeah. You cannot fight the cringe. You must allow it to flow through you. <laughs> like water. Yeah. Like water. <laughs> like that is water. The way, the, that is the way of water. I'm I'm swimming in the cringe ocean. Yes. And yet it wasn't until that poor new pipe fellow from home pointed at me and hauled me up there and I said it that I realized, Joel said, I don't have to do it that way. I get to choose how how to do it and they'll help me stick to the choice. I don't think I'd realized before that I could. I can really do this. I can do this for one endless day. I can. Dawn. The look he was giving her was meant to like validate her breakthrough and say, yes, yes, she could. She could as long as she continued to choose to. She was looking right at him, Gately could tell. But he'd also gotten a personal prickly chill all over from his own thinking. He could do the dextral pain the same way, abiding. No one single instant of it was unendurable. Here was a second right here. He endured it. What was undealable with was the thought of all the instants all lined up and stretching ahead, glittering and the projected future fear of the ADA, whoever was out there in a hat eating third-world fast food, the fear of getting convicted of (laughs) nuck slaughter, of VIP (laughs) suffocation, of a lifetime on the edge of his bunk in MCI Walpole, remembering. It's too much to think about, to abide there. But none of it's, as of now, real. What's real is the tube and noxema and pain. And this could be done just like the old cold bird. He could just hunker down in the space between each heartbeat, and make each heartbeat a wall and live in there, not let his head look over. What's unendurable is what his own head could make of it all, what his head could report to him, looking over and ahead and reporting. But he could choose not to listen. He could treat his head like G-Day or R-Lens, clueless noise. He hadn't quite gotten this before now, how it wasn't just the matter of riding out the cravings for a substance. Everything unendurable was in the head, what is the head not abiding in the present, but hopping the wall and doing a recon and then returning with unendurable <laughs> news you then somehow believed? 
If Gately got out of this, he decided, he was going to take the Knievel picture off his wall and mount it and give it to Joelle, and she'd call him Don or the Bimster, etc. <laughs> the Bimster? Mm-hmm. Get, what, what does Bim stand for again? Like big, big idiotic moron or something? I, I forget. Uh, Gately rolls his eyes way over to the right to see Joelle again, who she's using both pale hands to get the big book open on her sweatpants lap. Gray window light shines on clear plastic sheets like little laminates inside the thing. Idea to haul this out last night and was looking at it. I wanted to show you my own personal daddy, she says. She's holding the photo album out at him, wide open, like a kindergarten teacher at story time. Gately makes a production of squinting. Joelle comes over and rests the big album on the top of Gately's crib railing, peering down over the top and pointing at a snapshot in its little square sleeve. Right there's my daddy. In front of a low white porch railing, a generic lean old guy with lines around his nose from squinting into sunlight and the composed smile of somebody that's been told to smile. A skinny dog at his side, half in profile. Gately's more interested in how the shadow of whoever took the photo is canted into the shot's foreground, darkening half the dog. And that's one of the dogs, a pointer that got hit right after by, <laughs> right after that by a UPS truck out to 104, she says, <laughs> where no animal with a lick of sense would think it had business being. My daddy never names dogs. That one's just called the one that got hit by the UPS truck. <laughs> Her voice is different again. Gately tries to abide in seeing what she's pointing at. Most of the rest of the page's pictures are of farm-type animals behind wooden fences, looking the way things look that can't smile, that don't know a camera's looking. Joelle said her personal daddy was a low-pH chemist, but her late mother's own daddy had left them a farm. And Joelle's daddy moved them out there that, uh, and jick-jacked around with farming, mostly as an excuse to keep lots of pets and stick experimental low-pH stuff in the soil. <laughs> At some point in here, an all-business nurse comes in and fucks with the IV bottles, then hunkers down and changes the catheter receptacle under the bed. And for a second, Gately likes to die of embarrassment. Joelle seems not to even be pretending not to notice. And this right here is a bull we used to call Mr. Man. Her <laughs> slim thumb moves from shot to shot. The sunlight in Kentucky looks bright yellower uh, than NNEs. The trees are a meaner green and have got weird mossy shit hanging from them. And this right here is a mule called Chet that could jump the fence. And he used to get at everyone's flowers out, uh, everybody's flowers out along Route 45 until Daddy had to put him down. This is a cow. <laughs> this right here is Chet's mama. It's a mare. I don't recall any kind of name except Chet's mama. Daddy'd let her out to neighbors that really did farm to sort of make up for folks' flowers. Gately nods studiously at each photo, trying to abide. He hasn't thought about the wraith or the wraith dream once since he woke up from the dream where Joel was Mrs. Waite as a maternal death figure. <laughs> Next life's Chet's mama. He opens his eyes wide to clear his head. Joelle's head is uh, down, looking down at the open album from overhead. Her veil hangs loose and blank again, and so close he could reach his left hand up and lift it if he wanted. The open book she's moving her hand around in gives Gately an idea he can't believe he's only having now, except he worries because he isn't left-handed, which is to say, sinistral. Sin okay. Joelle's got her thumb by, <laughs> <laughs> by a weird old sepia shot of the ass, and, hu and hunched back of some guy scrabbling up the slope of a roof. Uncle Lum, she says. Mr. Riney, Lum Riney, my daddy's partner over to the shop that breathed some kind of fume at the shop when I was little and got strange, and now he'll always try and climb up on top of shit if you let him. <laughs> uh, okay, yes. 
He winces. I'm I'm stuck on the open book. She's moving her hand around and gives Gately an idea. He can't believe he's only having now. What I what idea? While she's looking at a photo book. I don't know. Will it be revealed? I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, he winces at the. <laughs> More information will be revealed. Yes, as the book continues. He winces at the pain of moving his left arm to put a hand on her wrist to get her attention. Her wrist is thin across the top, but oddly deep, thick-seeming. Gately gets her to look at him and takes the hand off her wrist and uses it to mime writing awkwardly in the air, his eyes rolling a bit from the pain of it. This is his idea. Mm -hmm. He points at her and then out to the window and circles his hand back to her. He refuses to grunt or moo to emphasize anything. His forefinger is twice the size of her thumb <laughs> as he again mimes holding an implement and writing on the air. He makes such a big, slow, obvious show of it because he can't see her eyes to be sure she gets what he's after. If a halfway attractive female so much as smiles at Don Gately as they pass on the crowded street, Don Gately, like pretty much all heterosexual drug addicts, has within a couple blocks mentally wooed, shacked up with, married, and had kids by that female, all in the future, all in his head, mentally dandling a young Gately on his mutton joint knee while this mental <laughs> Mrs. G bustles in in an apron uh, that she sometimes at night provocatively wears with nothing underneath. <laughs> Dude, by the time he gets where he's going, the drug addict has either mentally divorced the female and is in a bitter custody battle with the kids <laughs> for the kids or is mentally happily still hooked up with her in his sunset years, sitting together amid big-headed grandkids on a special porch swing modified for Gately's mass her legs in support hose and orthopedic shoes, still damn fine, barely having to speak to converse, calling each other mother and papa, knowing they'll kick within weeks of each other because neither could possibly live without the other, is how bonded they've got through the years. The projective mental union of Gately and Joel M.P. Van Dyne keeps foundering on the vision of Gately knee-dandling a kid in a huge blue or pink-bordered <laughs> veil, however, or tenderly removing the spongy clamps of Joelle's veil in moonlight on their honeymoon in Atlantic City and discovering just like one eye in the middle of her forehead or a horrific Churchill face or something, which takes us to end note 350. Or, maybe, or a face writhing in involuntary disgust at Don G's own armlessness and hook, maybe. <laughs> Back to the text. Uh, how much longer in this segment? Uh, just another, like, uh, page. page. Okay, perfect, because yeah. we're at 30. Great. Uh, so the addictive mental long-range fantasy gets shaky, but he still can't help envisioning the old ex with Joel well-veiled and crying out, and low, in the empty, <laughs> compelling way at the moment of or orchasm. Spelled like a, you know. Like, like orc? A, like a, no, like a chasm. Oh, okay. Orchasm. The closest Gately would ever come to exing a celebrity was the ragingly addicted nursing student with the head-banging loft who'd borne an incredible resemblance to the young Dean Martin. <laughs> Having Joelle share personal historical snapshots with Gately leads his mind right over the second wall, second's wall to envision Joelle, hopelessly smitten with the heroic Don G, volunteering to bonk the guy in the hat outside the room over the head and sneak Gately and his tube and catheter out of St. E's in a laundry cart or whatever, saving him from the BPD finest or federal crew cuts or whatever dire or legal retribution the guy in the hat might represent. <laughs> or else selflessly offering to give him her veil and a big dress and let him hold the catheter under the moo-moo and sashay right out while she huddles under the covers, impersonation of Gately, romantically endangering her recovery and radio career and legal freedom, all out of a Liebestad-type consuming love for <laughs> Gately. This last fantasy makes him ashamed, it's so cowardly. 
and even con- contemplating a romantic thing with a clueless newcomer is shameful. In Boston, AA, newcomer seducing is called 13-stepping, which takes us to endnote uh, 351. As in, a combination of the first and 12 steps goes the AA joke, my life is unmanageable and I'd like to share it with you. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Oh, who among us? Yes. <laughs> Back to the text. Oh God. Uh, uh, Thirteen stepping and was regarded as the province of true bottom feeders. It's predation. Newcomers come in so whacked out, clueless and scared, their nervous systems still on the outside of their bodies and throbbing <laughs> from detox, and so desperate to escape their own interior to lay responsibility for themselves at the feet of something as seductive and consuming as their former friend, the substance. To avoid the mirror AA hauls out in front of them, to avoid acknowledging their old dear, dear friend, the substance's betrayal and grieving it. Plus, let's not even mention the mirror and vulnerability issues of a newcomer that has to wear a UHID veil. One of Boston AA's stronger suggestions is that newcomers avoid all romantic relationships for at least a year. So somebody with some sober time pre, uh, pre- predating and trying to seduce a newcomer is almost tantamount to rape, is the Boston consensus. Not that it isn't done, but the ones that do it never have the sobriety anybody else respects or wants for themselves. A 13-stepper is still running from the mirror himself. Not to mention that a staffer seducing a new resident he's supposed to be there to help would be dicking over Pat Montesian and Ennett House on a grand scale. Gately sees it's probably no accident that his vividest Joel fantasies are coincident with flights from finest and legal responsibilities fantasies, that his head's real fantasy is this newcomer helping him avoid, escape, and run, joining him later in, in like, Kentucky on a modified porch swing. He's still pretty new himself, wanting somebody else to take care of his mess, somebody else to keep him out of his various cages. It's the same delusion as the basic addictive substance delusion, basically. His eyes roll up in his head at disgust with himself and stay there. <laughs> oh, Don. Uh, so ethical. So ethical. Yes. Yeah. I'd heard of the 13th step before. I've gone like, to the 13th, 13th step, step. Yeah, there's a bar, is a real in, bar. In East Village called 13th Step. Very bro-y. If you want to play... If you want to play beer pong in the East Village, go to the 13th step. Yeah, if you if you want a bucket of beers and to meet a finance style man. <laughs> yeah, a financial style individual. Yeah. Which uh, honestly, I, yeah. I say that condescendingly, but a lot of people really do. Yeah. Get, get yourself a little Morgan Stanley piece. Yes. Hi, my name is Morgan Stanley. <laughs> if that was your name, you'd have my to name's work Stanley there. of the Morgan Stanley. <laughs> of the Mo- of Morgan of the Stanley. Stanley Stanley. <laughs> 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 the, uh, mon- the money Stanleys. <laughs> the money Stanleys. My life is uh, unmanageable, and I'd like to share it with you. <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, so. I'd heard of the thirteen step, been to the thirteen step, but that's the first time I've heard uh, that joke. Yeah, me too. On it, some some good good cliches in this too. Yeah, good good cliches. Yeah. Oh, what's what's to say? Yeah, every individual second of life is endurable. <laughs> Uh, if you can vibe in that way. Yes. I it's like, sort of hinting at a kind of like Buddhist like state of nirvana almost. Yes. Of like actually living in the present, which is basically impossible to do. Yes. I like the metaphor of building walls around individual moments or individual mm-hmm. days. And then I also like the metaphor of his brain getting up and looking over the wall and going somewhere else and yeah. reporting back. Yes. Yeah. That's 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 anxiety, bro. Mm-hmm. Yes. You don't have any anxiety if you don't if you don't. Uh, worry about the future yes that is true 
But who else is going to worry about the future if not me? Yes. Um, I would also say, you know, there's activities in life that aren't, if if doing drugs and drinking is a way of, you know, living in kind of like a, living in the present, but like not really living in it. Yeah. Just being in it. There are many activities you can do where you do, you it forces you to live in the present. Yes. Because you're not paying attention to, you know, like going out dancing. Um, The one guy with the 10 year blackout is the like extreme other. Yeah. You, know, you either put a, a whole brick wall around every individual second until like properly considered or you, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the entire, the, Far other direction is losing ten years of losing your life. ten years of your life starting when you were nine years old. Yeah, yeah. The flaw, his <laughs> oh hatchet, God. his hatchet wound, his hatchet wound. Damn. Um, that sucks, bro. That does you've suck. Been uh, you've been gone on moonshine for a decade. Woof. Yeah. It happens. Yes. Well, I don't. I don't, I don't know. know. I actually don't know if it yeah. does. If it ten year blackout happens. is pretty impressive. I don't know if you could keep that going for that long. But yeah, a blackout is sort of like a cop out to living in the present, where yeah. you're kind of living in the nothing. Yes, like exactly. If you're, if you yourself aren't present, then how, not, how is anything yeah, else? Literally not forming new memories. Yeah. Um. Anything else going on in this segment? Ideally, you have to live in the past, the present, and the future. Like Michael Caine at the end of uh, A Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> or, I guess, realistically, like Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of A Christmas Carol. Yes. But I'm specifically thinking of, of Michael Caine. Yes, because we watched that this morning. Yeah. That would be rips. Um, I would love to get visited by three ghosts. If I got visited by three ghosts, I simply wouldn't make a big deal about it. Yes. No, I'm sure. I, I can't I, handle when there's like a critter in the house, let alone a ghost. Yes. Well, scary, spooky, you know, uh, they're here to teach you. So I would just I would simply accept that they had lessons to give. Yeah. It's like I say, just like, don't make it weird. You know, yeah. it's technically four, I won't make it weird if you won't make it weird. It's technically four ghosts. Why? Because he gets visited, visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley first yes. to warn him that there were going to be. Isn't ghosts. it both Marley's or no? That's in the Muppet. Movie. OK, because there's two of them because. Yes. The Marley. Oh, because oh, there's two of those characters. Oh, Yes. So they make them brothers. Right. And Dickens, it's one. One guy. One guy. It's not yes. two. God damn. I thought it was two guys. It's one guy. And the, I don't know if I've actually even read the original Christmas Carol. I mean, there's so many adaptations. I've you really seen don't so many need versions to. of it. I love Christmas Carol. Great, uh, great story. The cha- that's still my favorite episode of uh, Chapo Trap House. I, is... I can't believe I convinced them to do that a month into producing that show. A Christmas Carol, one of the best. That, I, I love that ripped. I love all three of our. A remarkable boy. <laughs> Is that the pri- the prize PS5 sitting in the window? Why is there right now? Uh, the the Christmas specials, the three Christmas specials are among my favorite things I've ever done for this I show. Quote, I quote the first one all the time. Uh, Amber yeah. saying, I'm smoking that lounge. I'm smoking that lounge. The uh, Matt's speech about <laughs> Korean gaming that causes everybody to break up and, uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> Virgil's. R.I.P.'s. Yeah. Uh, little, little, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, a, using oh, some kind of this Korean fucking slur. Song. Oh, yeah. Called, called, <laughs> I can't God, remember God, what it was. Uh, Brendan going, oh, this fucking sucks. Oh, oh yeah, what is it? 
Oh, woe is me. Oh, man, this sucks. <laughs> oh, and then he, at, the, at the end of his like monogon, he's like, this could be you, dude. <laughs> it's so good. And the sound design is great. I might just republish that again. You're, you're right. I, I wonder obviously if I did... know you do your, your work a day things, but you you also do great with a big, a big I know, audio production. I love do, doing it. I just don't want to. Well, I do have enough time to do a big audio production. You are doing a big called audio Hell production. Hell on Earth. Yeah. Coming out January 11th. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Hell on Hell on Earth. No, there's no. Um, I thought that for a second. I thought <laughs> for a second. I thought hell, hell on Earth was brought up in this reading, but no, that was a uh, Black Adam. Wait, what? Also wrote, they said the phrase Hell on Earth and oh, Black Adam. Got it. But I I had it on the mind. I was like, wait, did it come up in this reading? No, it did not. <laughs> Everything's melting together in my bra- brain. Um. Anything else from? The book. There are crab mechs in Avatar that I you was can, really. You into. have to stop spoiling Avatar for these people. It came out a day ago. I these aren't spoiling. Spoiling is giving away like a, a big plot thing. Yeah. To say that the middle second hour has ocean vibes, I do not think is a spoiler. And then there's action on either side. <laughs> I think you will can go into Avatar and all suspect right. that at least that much. Okay. If you get mad, if people get mad, it's all on you. <laughs> I, I don't. I won't think- give away the mysteries of the ways of water. Uh, You'll have I, to see, go into the deep yourself. <laughs> the The way of the water is that it's wet and it's all around you. Yeah. And yep. it's, you know, liquid. Uh, this is the water. This is the water. That Please Don't Destroy video where they're all, all like all broing down to watch the uh, David Foster Wallace. Oh, yeah. Where they're like, this is water. Yeah, let's go. This is water. This is water. Yeah. It's a very good uh, sketch video if you want to yeah, look at it. Yeah. Hey, bring, bring the way of the water back. Yeah. If you're in, if you're in it, you don't know what it is. Uh, that's I kept in my, uh, um, in my head going. This is water. This is water. Nice. Uh, me when I see the water in Avatar. Yeah. I, there is. I won't say anymore. No, don't. It literally just came out. Okay. Well, you should go see it, and you should uh, read this book. And what do you think? Anything else? <laughs> read this book. Yeah, read the book. If that it we're reading. Yeah. Well, they are hopefully true. If they're here now, yes. If you're I would if you've you gotten are. to this point, then uh, I, <laughs> you are either have already read the book or basically just doing an audiobook. We were talking to somebody yesterday who again confirmed that they were doing the audiobook of uh, Infinite Jest, but had no footnotes. They just say foot like the guy just reads out like footnote thirty eight, but then yeah, just goes it's on. It's a huge UI flaw apparently. Like it's I think the audiobook has a separate endnote audiobook but the user experience of a reading of an audio listening to audiobooks and jumping back and forth it's simply not done so it would I, also be insane to just read the footnotes straight through oh yeah that's also <laughs> insane no it's to, it's totally fucked and i i find it i i'm like why didn't you guys you should just they should do read it with two different voices yes so it's like uh, blah 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 blah. Footnote thirty-seven, and then a different voice comes in, and being like, "Blah blah blah, yeah. blah 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 blah." I mean, it kind of does. You know, it resists. You know, yeah. uh, being read aloud. Yes, but we're doing it anyway. So <laughs> you can't stop us. Yeah, we're doing a better. Yeah, we're doing a better audiobook than the book itself. Oh. Plus, you get to hear our delightful bants and commentary <laughs> and my chuckling in the background. I'll actually have to listen to my the sensible chortles to see how you know to, if he does voices or pronunciation or anything like that. Because you would theory- theoretically have to hire someone who could do like Quebecois. Quebecois. At the very least. Yes. Oh, god damn it. What? Uh I needed to I need to report back. Julian Field from QAnon Anonymous gave me uh some great Quebec info. Okay. 
which is that there is a word for podcasting in Quebecois French. Yes. Uh, called balado. Balado. Which apparently is a portmanteau of stroll, like taking a stroll. Balladay. And radio. Uh-huh. Radio. Yeah. Balado, which I find quite cute, but also very uh, French-Canadian. Balado. It's cute. What do they call podcasts in France? Because they don't, they hate Le using pod- English. Well, I mean, yeah, that's guest. the thing. They hate just using American English words. words. I remember learning like. <laughs> like the word for computer is la, like le machine. Le, le, l'ordinateur. Yeah, exactly. And like they. L'ordinateur. There was l'ordinateur. Like the literally like or, ordinator. Like, the ordinator. You know, someone, like the, compu- the computer. Yes. Uh, But that's not the same vibe. I, when I was in high school, it was, you know. Everyone was just saying, oh, le fast food. And they were like, no, it's le resto vite. <laughs> like a, fa- a, fa- a fast restaurant. And they're like, no, it's le fast food. Fuck you. I like I like stroll radio. That's pretty good. Stroll uh, radio. I'm just imagining they call it le, po- le podcast, but it has an E at the end. Le podcast. Uh, if you know what the French word for podcast is, uh, let me know. Let, uh, let me know. Uh, whatever it would be to say, uh, say lazy radio. In uh, in French. Do you ever think about how podcasts ca- came from a specific product, Apple product? Well, the podcasting as a thing was a thing before Apple turned it into a thing. Like it existed pre the iTunes Store. They just streamlined it into the iTunes design. But isn't a podcast named for an iPod? Yes, but I, I the concept existed beforehand. The concept of an RSS feeded audio, audio. program. Yes, yeah. but. For uh, I should know this podcasting so much. Uh, one of the former MTV VJs was a big early podcast pusher. I forget which one though. It's not one of the big ones. All right, here's here's a here's a great. This is from ConnexionFrance.com. Uh, a new set of forty French equivalents for well-known anglicisms has been published after recommendations from the Académie Française. Wake wake up, babe! New French just dropped for the enrichment and pres- preservation of the French language. The word podcast should be uh, replaced by the French audio à la demande or <laughs> programme slash émission à la demande or service audio oh, oh, service audio à la demande. You're not going to win this one, it's French people. It's not happening, <laughs> dude. Le, it's le podcast. Le podcast. It are, it's so podcast. Two things. You Wait, gotta, I need, look, I need if to you're going to beat the these. word, if you're going to beat the word, you got to beat it at syllables. You need two syllables. Keep it fresh. Yeah. To spoil as in to reveal prematurely a key element of a storyline plot. Hey, sh- another running theme of this episode. Should be replaced by divulgache, <laughs> a word which has only been added to the dictionary in 2020 instead of saying fake news, which I saw like our French people running around being like uh, le fake news. Avez-vous vu le fake news aujourd'hui? The commission recommends infox and video talks for deep fake, which are fake. Okay, so in infox is fake news, and video talks is deep fake. Wow. Uh, the word get the fuck out of here. The word auto tune should be replaced by ajustement automatique d'intonation. You're, another one that you're like you're just describing the thing. You're just, you can't just make the the definition of the thing a word. If you're going to make a French word, make a new French word that says auto tune. Uh, extended play, as in an EP, should be replaced by mini album. That's an EP is an international thing. I'm yes. sorry. LPs and EPs. Fuck off. That's also just two letters. Mini uh, album. 
And the only but why are they just renaming EPs now? That's a concept that's been around forever. It took maybe it took that long to the, for the Academy. The, the to, Academy Francois is looking surveying 2022 and said, "Hmm, I think these records are going to stick around." A concept that has that lasts. Uh, a showrunner should be called director or directrice de série. These are all terrible. Yes. Academy Francaise, we're, you're going to have to do find a th- secret third thing. Yes. You need to make, make up new words. Make up new words with some kind of Franco, relevance, yes. Franco root, but can express what needs to be no, expressed nobody, in a similar tone. Nobody is calling a podcast audio on demande. Is okay. that what it is? Yeah. Like, oh, God. Okay, now I've already forgotten. It's too long. Podcast is already a fake word. Yes. Casting. Yeah, I don't know. Do, Broad, they, well, it's like broadcast. Yeah, well, the, don't they don't they cast things in French? Uh, le broadcast. Le broadcast. Yes. An like émission that. is a broad. That's émission. a broadcast. How, okay, so then it should be like podmission. Sure. Which that's that's, that's that, better than yeah. podmission. Podmission, like that. Okay, so you've made a new word. It is. It has mission. a French base, and it's not just describing what the thing is. Yeah. Uh I, I've words. Service for audio a la demande is not Sur- it. Service audio a la demande. Uh, yeah. So you could call them like SADS. S A A D. Service sad. audio a la demande. A la demande. Un sad. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's fucked. You make it's like a, po- a it's French. Pod. It's not real. Yes. Get uh, over it. Pods don't even exist anymore. Have you thought about that? That they're like, it is already a uh, an obsolete term. You cannot, they don't make new iPods, right? They've discontinued them, Yeah, they've discontinued. I think the iPod is more or less dead. So it really should be called like a phone cast now. Damn. Damn. Rip the the iPod. But it's too, it's too deep in the culture. Also, I do, you know, I'm, I'm the respecter of, imagine if, you know, America had anything the equivalent of the Academy Francaise of like protecting your like culture. We don't really have any culture. We just... Adding the suffix burger to every international term. Pod burger. Pod burger. Phone burger. Phone burger. <laughs> Video burger. I'm trying to think of a f- French concept that you would have to import here. Uh, my my mime burger. My, not a mime burger. Mm. 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 All right. I think we bullshitted enough at the back end of this. I think so as well. Uh, all right. Uh, au revoir. Au revoir.